just a couple of minutes, we're going to dive into God's Word. If you want to follow along, you've got a Bible or you've got another device, turn to Genesis 1, the first chapter in the Bible. Before I get into the message today, let me just share a couple things with you about what's going on right now at the Bridge Church. Throughout the month of January, starting the first Sunday in January, we've been sending out daily prayer requests. And what they are, they're areas of the church and areas of our society and world we're asking you to pray over. Monday through Saturday, you'll get a prayer request if you're on our email blast system. If you're not, you can sign up today and we'll get you on this week. Uh, but we're sending out a, a daily prayer need and we're joining our faith, we're joining our prayers, asking God to do specific things in our world, in our nation, and in our personal lives. This week, for example, we're going to be focusing on the personal needs of people. So join us as we pray, and I want to ask you to do something with me. I want to ask you this week, from now to next Sunday, really consider spending some time fasting with us and praying for what God wants to do in our church and in our world. Now, Scripture says in the New Testament, before Jesus started his ministry, he went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. You know what it says next? It says, and Jesus was hungry. How many of you figure if Jesus fasted 40 days, he was probably hungry? How many of you think if you fasted one meal, you might be hungry? Now, you know, if, if Jesus ate three meals a day, by my calculations, he missed, what, 1,200 meals, something like that, or 100, 120 meals, I guess it would be. Let me do my math in my head. He, he would have missed, like, 120 meals. I, I understand why Jesus was hungry. Here's the point. I want to encourage you to set aside some time, pray about it, do what's in your heart. The next week, if you can join us spending some time, whether it's a meal a day, two meals a day, maybe you can fast all day one day or two days. Maybe you can fast every day this week. I want you to do what's in your heart. And here's the thing about fasting. It's not about twisting God's arm to make him do something. You can't twist God's arm. His arm is stronger than yours. Some of you guys go to the gym every day like Aaron, and you still don't look like Popeye, but that's okay. You go to the gym, you get all strong. You're not going to twist God's arm. Hi, Aaron. I'm glad you're, glad you're here. You're, you're still not going to twist God's arm. It's not about twisting God's arm. It's about aligning your heart with his heart. And it's amazing when we fast, God tends to realign us, which is what we're talking about this month. He realigns our heart, which makes some adjustments in our lives. And the first thing you know, God does amazing things, answers amazing prayer requests. Please consider fasting with us. I'm making it light for a moment, but please, seriously, consider fasting with us this week. Let's see God do great things. Because next Sunday morning is a Sunday of praise and worship and prayer. And as a matter of fact, if you've got a request that you want us to be praying over, you can go to the Connection Center and pick up a prayer card. I think I might have one here. Pick up a prayer card, fill it out, drop it off at the Connection Center, or drop it in the offering box out there. But drop it off, and we'll be praying over prayer needs next week. We'll be praying over the needs of people who are here we're going to be praying about some specific things. It's going to be a day of prayer and praise and worship. It's going to be a great day, a great day of celebration. We're going to see God do some great, great things. So prepare your heart. Let's get ready for next Sunday. Okay, now having said all of that, I'm in a series called Realignment. This month, the four Sundays, and this is the last in this series, talking about realigning some areas of our lives that tend to get out of alignment with God and out of alignment with his word. I talked about John chapter 3, or, or 3 John rather, 
where John's prayer for the church, which is my prayer for you this year, that I, I pray and I wish and I hope above all things that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That God blesses you spiritually, that he grows you and matures you this year, and with that will come other blessings. You know, John makes the connection there in his writings how there's a connection between God's blessing and my walking in his truth. And that's what this teaching is about this month, realigning some areas of our lives that tend to get out of alignment, that cause us to get out of our lane and wind up in a ditch and create problems for our lives. So this month, we've already talked about three topics. Number one, heart alignment. The commandment from the Old Testament, Genesis, or Exodus 20, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Have no other gods, have no other idols. We talked about aligning our hearts with God. The second week, we talked about time alignment. How our time tends to get out of control and our lives get out of control and we run, 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 run and we just can't get caught up. It's because we violate a commandment from God that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Set aside one day of the week to rest, refresh, hit the reset button, reorder your life, and then your life will stay in order. The third week, we talked about a financial alignment, which is basically, thou shalt not covet. A lot of us are in financial problems because we covet things and we get things that we can't afford. And it starts with a problem in our hearts. Today, in this last of this series, I want to talk to you about moral alignment. Moral alignment. Now, let me say something here. For a long time, Western civilization has been built upon what we would call the Ten Commandments, upon God's laws, Old Testament laws. That's what our civilization, our Western world, has been built on. We're seeing that attacked here in America, in Europe, in a lot of places. We're taking God's word and we're saying there are no absolute truths. You can say that, but it doesn't change the fact. If there is a God... There's absolute truth. If there is no God, then there are no moral absolutes. But I know there is a God. Now, having said that, today's message, before I even start to get into it, I want to pray here because I'm going to touch on some things today that may, may touch a place of pain in your life. I'm going to talk about some things that may bring up some hurts. I want to talk about some things that maybe aren't yet healed or I may talk about some things where there needs to be some correction. I, I may even get into some things today where there needs to be some repentance and change in people's lives, turning back to God. But I'm going to give you God's word on this topic of moral realignment. And I'm going to talk about sexuality today, moral alignment with God's word. So I want you to bow your heads and let me pray today. Father, I give this time back to you that you speak to your people. I want to be your mouthpiece. I don't want to share my ideas. I want to share your word. And I ask you to drive your word into our hearts and then give us the privilege and the responsibility of us responding to your word and realigning our lives with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me start with a statement. God never intended for us to judge his word through the eyes of society. It's really the other, the other way around. 
God intended for us to judge society by looking through his word. To understand the condition of society based on what he's called for in his word. And in this message today, I want to make sure everybody understands there is no condemnation. I'm not trying to put condemnation or guilt on anyone. And if you'll listen to the heart of this message, I think you'll understand it. But I want to share some things today that aren't popular in some circles, but they're still in the Word of God. And they will still shape our lives and bring blessing. So look at Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter in the Bible. We're going to begin at verse number 27. And we're going to move quickly, we're going to move through the story pretty fast. So let's talk about God's plan for mankind. Genesis 1, look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. Let's pause here just a moment. If you'll remember a couple of Sundays ago when I talked about time management, I talked about the Sabbath day. It says God created for six days. On the seventh day, he rested. What we're going to read from here is happening on the sixth day of creation before creation was finished, because it says at the end of the sixth day, God finished his creation. On the seventh day, he rested. So this is on the sixth day of creation. He's created everything else that was created. He just finished the animals, and then he goes on to mankind. It says, so God created man, how? In his own image. Doesn't mean we're God. It doesn't mean we're little gods or junior gods. It means we have a likeness to God. There are things about us that are godlike, but there are other things that are very, very, few, very, very human. I think everybody understands that. But let's read on. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. See, we may get confused about things. God doesn't get confused. He knows how we're created. Verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Notice that. Be fruitful, which means to live a life that produces something good. It means to carry your responsibilities and do what is rightfully yours. Be fruitful and multiply, which means to reproduce. And he goes on and says this. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, on the sixth day of creation, God created mankind, male and female, Adam and Eve. On the sixth day, he did this. But then he assigned a purpose to mankind. He said, I want you to be fruitful. Live lives and do the things with your lives that I have created you to do. Live a good life. Live a wholesome life. Be fruitful. Be responsible. Carry your responsibilities and produce good things from your life. And reproduce and recreate what I have created in you. That was the purpose and the assignment of man. Now, now think about this for a minute. God created Adam first, and we'll get into that more in just a moment. Adam could not accomplish this by himself. The one man, Adam, couldn't do all that needed to be done. He couldn't fill the whole earth and subdue it all by himself. He had to be able to reproduce for this to happen. So this is God's plan, God's order. Skip down to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 15. Here's what happens here. 
At the end of Genesis chapter 1, it finishes the story of the first six days. Chapter 2 begins with, and on the seventh day, God rested. He finished his work, he rested. And then it talks about some other things there, about God finishing some things up and God making some plans. But then it goes back and it gives us a more detailed description of that sixth day and creation of man. So look, if you would, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? If that's for me, tell him I'll call him back in about 30 minutes. <laughs> God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. He gave him a mission. He gave him responsibility. He gave him an assignment over which he could be responsible and be fruitful. That's what God does with our lives. Now skip on down to verse number 18 of Genesis chapter 2. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now we're going to get into marriage. Okay? He's created Adam. He looks down upon Adam, and, he, and God says, it's not good that man should be alone. Now, I, I make light of this. A lot of preachers do. We make jokes about it, and we say, man, God put Adam down there, and after several days, he's like, oh, man, this is not working out. i got to do something here. How many of you know a man left by himself is going to need help? <laughs> Come on, ladies. Clap your hands. But, but here's the point. A lot of people say, well, you know, the Bible says a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. It may have taken God a thousand years for the first day and a thousand. I know all that. I know. I've heard all that. That's not the point. The point I want to make is this. It was on the sixth day that God created Adam. And on that same day, it didn't take God long to say it's not good he should be alone. Now, I think God knew that from the start. I think it was part of God's plan because mankind could not fill the earth by himself. So God said, I have a plan. Okay? So God said, I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. Now go on down to verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. And God took one of his ribs and then closed up the flesh in its place. See, God likes ribs. <laughs> verse 22. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman... And he brought her to the man. Now notice that. God took a rib from Adam's side, closed it up, and from the rib, he made a woman. The word woman means of man. She was made of man, taken of man. You say, well, man, why would God do that? I don't know why God did it that way, but I'll show you some things that might relate to it here in just a moment. But, you know, God created man from the dust of the earth. And he created woman from the rib, the side of man. Verse 23, and Adam said, notice this, God didn't say it. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Woe, man, from man. Verse 24, therefore, therefore, look at the conclusion. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. See, it was the plan of God from the beginning. He makes the statement before there are fathers and mothers that God brings a man and a woman together and the man will leave his father and his mother and his family life to create a whole new family life with his wife. That's the plan of God. 
and the two of them become one flesh. It doesn't mean that one of them loses their personality. It doesn't mean that one of them is no longer important. I'll show you more of that in just a moment. It means the two of them combine their hearts, their lives, their dreams, their plans to come up with one plan for life and they navigate it together even though they each have their own responsibilities and their own part to play. They do it together as one heart, one vision, one flesh. That was the plan of God. Now, verse 25 says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, let me walk through some things real quickly here because this lays the foundation for where I want to go in the rest of this message. Marriage that God ordained in Scripture, when God said it's not good for man to be alone, I'll make him a helper. Marriage provides help for us. Marriage provides help. In the King James, if you read it, it says God made a help meet, M-E-E-T. God made a help meet for man. In the original writings, the word helper, it has two words. And I'm going to explain what the two words are here because it helps us understand this. God said, it's not good that man would be alone, so there's two things I'm going to do. Number one, I'm going to give him a helper, which means I'm going to give him an aid. How many men in the house will be honest and lift your hands? And if your wife's here, you better. Uh, how many men will lift your hand and say, I need some aid every now and then in life? <laughs> I advise you, I'd get up high and say, hallelujah, Pastor Gary, keep on preaching that. Because if you don't think you need aid, you are deceiving yourself, okay? Now, you can elbow your husband after that one. God said, I'm going to give him help. I'm going to give him an aid so he can accomplish his mission. The second part, the second word that is used here means I'm going to make him a, a counterpart. A counterpart. The word counterpart in the original writings, you know, a lot of Hebrew words really are picture words. They, they, they paint a picture. This word means to be like face to face, like right there in my face. God says, I'm going to make him a helper who can stand face to face, nose to nose, toe to toe with him and be an aid and a help to him and the two of them can complement each other and do life together now let me let me explain this further for you okay it says the two of them shall be one flesh see in a godly marriage and it should be in every marriage but especially in a godly marriage two people come together and they become one flesh and they begin to do life like this can I give you a side note? One of the reasons why divorce is so painful, when you go through a divorce, it doesn't do this. It rips and it shreds and it causes all kinds of trouble. And I can teach on that one of these Sundays this year. Elbow somebody and say, it's coming this year. I'm going to talk about that. But God says the two of them will become one flesh. Now, let's talk about this. God created woman by taking a rib out of Adam's side. And that should speak some things to us today that we need to understand in every marriage. It is God's intention that the wife would stand right at the side of her husband. Husbands, your wife's place is right at your side. He did not make her 
from a bone from your foot that you would walk on her. He did not. He did not make her from a bone in your head that she would rule over you. Come on, husband, you have your chance now. He created her from, her from his rib because she belonged right at his side, near his heart, and under his arm of protection. God said, I'll give you a helper to be right there. The two of you will be one flesh and you can navigate life together. You can be a help to each other. That's the way God intended marriage to be. Now let me give you the light side of this. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard it said that when Adam would come home late at night, Eve would count his ribs to make sure there wasn't another woman in his life. Maybe. Maybe. See, we're, we're going to laugh today because if I can get you laughing, it'll be easier for you to cry because your emotions, those emotions are closely communicated there, closely linked. Uh, marriage is designed to give us an intimate companion, a helpful spouse, and our most meaningful earthly relationship. God intended marriage to speak more into your life than any other earthly, natural relationship. That's the plan of God. And one of the examples is communication. Husbands and wives should have conversation with each other that they don't have with anybody else in this universe except God. Okay? My wife and I have conversations that she would never share with anybody else because it's personal, it's intimate, it's confidential. I would never share the things that she shares with me in those close, intimate, personal moments because they belong right there in that marriage. Husbands, and, and you need to hear this, guys, God intended for you to have a relationship with your wife where you can open your heart and talk to her about all your fears, all your concerns, all your struggles, and find help and support from her. But we men don't like to do that. And as a result, we hurt ourselves and we suffer sometimes. Men, we need to learn to open up and have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with our wives. Which means two things. Number one, men, once you open the door and you start having those conversations, or once she opens the door and starts that conversation, men, the conversation will probably last longer than you want it to. And ladies, number two, it means the conversation will probably not last as long as you want it to. But yet, God wants us to have that relationship. You see, if we're both just alike, one of us is useless. That's why we're attracted to opposites, because we bring aid to each other's lives that we don't have within ourselves. God designed us to be that way. Our communication is meant to be intimate, personal, and confidential. And then within the confines of marriage, God ordained sex. He said, I got an amen over there. I'm surprised it wasn't a husband. Yeah, I gotta keep moving on here. God said, multiply, fill the earth. You can't do that without sex. It's the design of God. Now, I know in church, you know, we're really careful 
Don't want to say something to offend anybody, and I'm, I'm going to do my best today. But I also know in church, sometimes we don't even tell the truth because we're afraid. Amen. And I'm going to talk to you about God's word and some truth for a few minutes here. So listen, sex is the most intimate expression of love. It's the ultimate physical and emotional act that completes the one flesh relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife within the confines of marriage. The act of sex creates new life. And God blesses it within the boundaries of marriage. Sex is purposeful. Listen to me. God created the idea. It's holy if it's kept within its purpose. Sex is purposeful. It's powerful. It's attractive. It's enjoyable. And it's natural. But it's meant to be between a husband and wife within the confines and the boundaries of marriage. That's the plan and the intent of God. Now, if you read scripture, it's not hard to arrive at that place. But let me move forward. When a man and a woman, a husband and a wife are married, you begin this idea of family. A family is a godly nurturing atmosphere of love and faith that's what god intended to be a place where we encourage each other and keep each other moving forward in god's love and out of the idea of family comes this concept of home a home is a place to raise healthy godly children a place that models and teaches the moral values upon which society is built supposed to happen at home now, let me read to you from deuteronomy chapter 6 and i want you to just follow along with me as i read this god had given his law to his people israel and this is what he says in verse 6 these words which i command you today shall be where in your heart not just in your head but get them in your heart verse 7 you shall teach them how diligently that means it's going to take some work it's going to take some repetition you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, which means when you're driving them to school and to soccer practice, when you walk by the way, when you lie down at night and when you rise up in the morning. In other words, our days of home life are to be filled teaching our children the concepts and the ways of God. Okay? Verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, which means God's word should control your actions. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Everything you look at, you should look through God's word to analyze it and to understand it. That's what he's saying. And finally, verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moms, dads, it is your responsibility to teach your children the ways of God, the morality by which they're supposed to live. It's mom's and dad's responsibility. It's supposed to happen at home. Some people think, well, I'm going to take my kids to church now and then so they'll learn about God. You know what? We're not here to teach your children about God. We are not, listen closely to me, we're not here to save your kids. We're here to reinforce what you're doing at home. And if you, we get them one hour a month or one hour a week, it will not counteract all that they're encountering in this world. It's your responsibility to teach them at home over and over and over again until it becomes a part of their hearts and a part of their lives. I know some of you already think, well, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have had kids. 
Your parents face the same thing, okay? So we see in creation God's purpose for marriage, home, and family. Now, second thing, look at Exodus chapter 20. A little further back, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to get to the Ten Commandments here. I'm going to show you something. We're talking about realignment. You know, I was doing some studying this week. God created man in the garden, then there was sin, and then things went out of control. Now listen closely. Did you know from Adam to Noah, there were like ten generations? There was no law of God. There were ten generations. In ten generations, things had spun so far out of control that God found one godly man who found grace, and he destroyed all living beings. Started over. Think about that. So when God starts this nation, this nation of Israel, and he begins to build them as a people and put them in a land, he begins to give them laws. And the first thing he does, he gives them the Ten Commandments for moral laws. I'm telling you, you look at these laws, out of our history, Western society is founded upon these moral laws. And one of them is, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. This commandment was intended to protect the sanctity of marriage, family, and the home. Because God knew if they continue the way they did in the beginning, this will destroy family. And if it destroys family, it will destroy society. A lot of us don't want to hear it because we think it's political. It's not political. One of the reasons America's society is crumbling is because homes are destroyed. And there's no moms and dads together in homes and families teaching children. That's why America is in so much trouble today. But we make it political. It's not political. It's God's word. Now, let me, let me show you something. I want to talk to you for about five minutes here about the pain, the damage of adultery. Adultery damages and often destroys marriages, families and homes adultery creates horrible emotional pain adultery destroys trust that's been created see trust is like a bank account it takes you a long time to build it up but you can destroy it and deplete it that fast adultery does that destroys trust adultery is betrayal Adultery leads to a false lifestyle. You're one thing out here, but you're another thing when you come back home. You're cheating out here, and you're lying about it and trying to cover it up back home. Adultery leads to a false lifestyle. Adultery breaks the marriage vows. Scripturally speaking, adultery is grounds for divorce. Adultery damages many, many, many relationships. It doesn't just hurt Husband-wife relationships, it hurts relationship with children, extended family, friends, and it hurts your relationship with God. It's damaging. And according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, an adulterer was deserving of death. Now, I don't know any place in Scripture that points to somebody actually being killed for adultery. But I do know this. God says it's a horrible thing for us to commit our lives to. Solomon said this in Proverbs 6. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. 
Oh man, I'm just having fun, enjoying my flesh. No, you're not. You're destroying your soul is what you're doing. It says, wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul said this, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Well, I'm just having fun. No, you're not. You're destroying yourself. That's what God says. And I'm going to show you something in 1 Corinthians 6. If you've got scripture, I want you to turn there. I have the verses on the screen. The only sexual activity that God blesses and honors is what happens between a husband and a wife in marriage. God talks about adultery, fornication, other sexual sins. The only one he honors is what happens between a husband and a wife in a marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul wrote these words. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves. Notice this, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says this in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. The only sex that God calls moral is what happens between a husband and a wife in marriage. Now society may tell us otherwise, but God's word is truth. And we as believers need to understand this. Why? Because we want to be blessed. I want to see you blessed. But there's a connection between God's principles and his blessing. And we need to understand these things. That kind of lifestyle may have been in our past. But it says we have been saved. We've been forgiven. We've been delivered from that bondage. We no longer have to live that lifestyle. We can now live godly lifestyles. The power of God can free us from that bondage. He can walk us into blessing. 1 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read... Several verses here because I want you to see something. What does it mean to be the church? I say this all the time. The, the words, the church, it's, the church is not a building. I mean, we have a church building, but the real church is not a building. It's not pews or, or comfortable seats and carpet and air conditioning and heat and nice building and lights, stage. It's not it. The church is people. People who've been called out of darkness and sin and into light and God's beauty. He's called us out of ungodly society to be a witness and a light to the world. But if we're going to be a witness and a light to the world, what he's saying is, live by my laws, have my blessing, and let the world see who you are and what you are. So what's my point? If we're not different from society, we're not the church. And here's what Paul says. Now, I want you to follow with this. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Paul's writing to the church, he says this, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. He says not even unbelievers are doing this. It says that a man has his father's wife. 
A man's having sex with his father's wife. Now, to me, that, that's just wrong on so many levels when I think about it, okay? I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. But here's what Paul says about it. And you are puffed up, which means you're proud and you're arrogant about it. You're puffed up and you have not mourned that he's done this deed that he might be removed from among you. You're proud and you're saying, look at this guy. God loves him and God's happy about him. He says, no, God's not happy about that. And you have a responsibility to deal with that sin. Keep reading. Verse number three. For I indeed, as, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. I've judged him who has so done this deed. Now pause here a minute. One of these Sundays, I'm going to do a whole message on this because Christians are confused about thou shalt not judge. You know, judge not lest you be judged, condemn not lest you be condemned. Christians are confused about that. We're not to judge and become the sentence on somebody's life. It's not our job. That's God's job. But Jesus said judge people by the fruit they produce. Judge them by their lifestyles and what their lifestyles are producing. You know, it's, it's popular. Boy, it's quiet in this non-denominational church today. It's popular in society now. The last few years, you hear it all the time. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Well, quit doing that. I'll quit judging you. All I'm doing is looking at the fruit of your life, you know. The Bible says don't judge me. No, that's not what it says. I'm going to show you what it says right here, okay? Stay with me. Uh, verse number five. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He says, separate him. Separate him from the so-called church because he's bringing sin into the church. You cannot accept that immorality. Verse number six, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? What it's saying is a little bit of sin accepted and embraced will soon spread through the entire body. What he's saying is it won't be long until two-thirds of you will be living with your mother-in-law. Now, some of you guys say, ooh, not me. That's what happens when sin gets in. You do stupid stuff, okay? I know, I, some of you, will, I've lost you for the whole rest of this message. Verse 7, therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. In other words, remove the sin. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Now go to verse 8. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, old sin, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Listen to me. The only thing that distinguishes the church from everybody else is sincerity and truth. God's word is truth. It says this. Verse number 9. I wrote to you in my epistle. Listen to these words closely. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. How many knows that you know, if you can't have any conversation with ungodly people, there just ain't many people to talk to? Okay, That's what he's talking about. Verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. See, Paul draws a line here. 
He says, you know what? There are people out there, you're trying to reach them. You're trying to just live a godly life and be friends with them and point them to Jesus. That's fine. But there are people among you who are living ungodly lives and they claim to be brothers. You've got to call out their sin and if they don't want to turn from their sins, quit hanging out with them. Well, that's not very nice. It's extremely nice because it'll point them back to repentance. This is what we miss. Now, let's move on. Verse 12. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Paul said, I can't judge people who don't know Christ. It's not my place to judge their lives. Do you not judge those who are inside? Aren't we supposed to look at the fruit of our lives and if we're living ungodly lives, try to help point each other back to Christ? Absolutely. Thank God for planes. If it wasn't for, <laughs> wasn't for planes, there'd be no noise in this building right now. Verse 13. But those who are outside the church, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, here, here's the beauty of this. This man who was sleeping, having sex with his, with his dad's mother or dad's wife, this guy was put out by the church. They said, we're not going to fellowship with you. You can't be a part of our fellowship as long as you're living in sin. At some point in time, he turned away from that relationship. He repented. He came back to Christ. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians and said, enough's enough. You need to receive him as a brother. He's proven. He's truly repentant. Now, there are people today who say, well, I, I don't think you should preach that in the church. Let me tell you something. If we're not preaching the whole counsel of God's word, we're not the church. And if we grab sin and embrace it and say it's okay here, before long it will be in all of our lives, in all of our children's lives, and they'll point a finger at us and say, I learned it from you. We have to stand for God's word. We've got to stand with God. And somebody here, I, I can feel it, some of you are saying, well, I, I, I'm not coming back here anymore, and I don't appreciate you saying that. You know what? Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger telling you what the Word of God says. Get mad at God, okay? Now, now that we're through the hard part, the last part, this is the last part right here. I have minus three minutes to finish. How do I safeguard myself? How do I safeguard my family? How do I safeguard my marriage? What can I do to avoid falling into adultery? I can't speak for women because I'm not a woman. I'm a man. But I'm going to tell you something. The male sex drive is really, really strong. Come on, guys. Give you a chance to say amen, okay? I don't know about women. Male sex drive is really strong. And you know what? That's obvious because there's a lot of kids running around here, okay? God made us that way. But he also wants us to learn how to control it and keep it in marriage so it's a blessing, not a curse. Let me walk you through this. How do I safeguard my marriage, my family, my home? Let me just give you some real quick thoughts. First of all, avoid compromising situations. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, during the last presidential campaign, uh, Mike Pence, who's now our vice president, Claims to be a Christian. His wife works at a Christian school. There's been a lot of stuff in the news about all that. This is not politics. This is a story about a man who's trying to be a godly man. He was asked one day about his lifestyle, and he, they found out he had this rule. He would not go to lunch and be alone with another lady. 
He would go with the group, but he would not go and be alone with the woman one-on-one. Uh, we have a guy in the church who used to work the Secret Service, and he said he knows Mike Pence, and the reason he has that rule is because his wife made him put that rule in place. <laughs> Listen to me for a minute. You need to set safeguards in your life. I don't get alone with other women. Our pastors don't do counseling with women one-on-one. We don't do it. We don't do it. Why? Because it's a trap. Because people's emotions get glued together. A hurting woman can grab a man's attention, and a man's attention can grab a hurting woman's heart. We avoid that. Some of you need to put some safeguards in your life. You need to stay out of those one-on-one situations that can compromise you. You need to guard your heart against hearing things and seeing things you don't need to see and hear. Avoid compromising situations. Another thing, this this is a good one, stop flirting. Years ago, Ann and I had done some counseling with a couple that had been divorced and they were getting back together. And the reason they got divorced was the guy had a number of affairs. And they're trying to get back together and they kept fighting because he's a big flirt. And he'd meet women, he'd start flirting. His wife would get angry, they'd get home, they'd have a big fight. And he said, I don't get why she gets so upset, I'm just flirting. I said, well, maybe it's your track record. She knows what it leads to. Let me tell you something, flirting is like an invitation. Are you interested or not? You may not mean anything by it, but deep down inside, if you're flirting, there's something there that you don't need to have happening. Amen, I got a yeah out there, that's close enough. (laughs) Flirting opens the door, slam the door, stop flirting. Amen, there you go. Here's another good one. Stop fantasizing and stop feeding immoral input. If it's coming from magazines, if it's coming from movies, videos, if it's coming from the internet, if it's coming from something you're reading, if, you're, if you've got an ungodly desire and it's feeding a sexual drive inside of you that's not within the confines of marriage, you need to stop it and get the influence out of your life need to get rid of it put up a safeguard stop fantasizing because what's happening is you're harboring covetousness in your heart and eventually it's going to pop out somewhere and have trouble here's another one avoid the wrong people and you know who the wrong people are every now and then now please i I don't want to offend anybody but listen to what i'm going to tell you you know when i When I see women in the church who I know well, they'll walk up to give me a hug and I'll stand beside them and give them a side hug. I don't really do frontal hugs. And there's reasons for that. I've had some women walk up at church and grab me and put a bear hug on me. And when I get finished, it's like, I don't don't need to hug her anymore. (laughs) And and I'm listening to me. May not be any intent there. It may be totally innocent. But I just, I'm a man. And, and men, okay, we're in church, okay? And I don't know if some of you are going to get offended at this, but I'm going to tell you something. Men, your, latch, your, your match can be lit in about 15 seconds, okay? It, it, may, it, may take, it may take her a while to warm up, but it doesn't take you long. So when somebody's, when you know it's a wrong person for you to be hanging around, you need to draw a line and stay away from it. Boys is good. Man, I, I think I'll just do a series and start part two right now. This is good. No, I'm almost done. Second part of this, listen to your spouse. 
You know, they, they say women have this intuition and it's kind of this spooky word. It's not. Women are just more emotional and they feel the atmosphere more than most men. And men, that's right. Men, there are times when your wife will say, you know what, you need to stay away from her. If your wife tells you that, you need to stay away from her. You may think, well, my wife's crazy. No, you're the crazy one. And, and listen to me. Here's the thing about men. Men, we are idiots. That's our problem. We are idiots. We think we're so tough, we control it all. Man, once the match is lit, you don't control much. That's why you've got to be careful. Now, I know somebody's going to get mad at me and go home, but there's a bunch of people here getting some help today. So go home and, and, and pray and ask God to forgive you for getting mad at me. I'm almost done. Avoid the wrong people. Listen to your spouse. Sometimes my wife will tell me, you know what? I'm a little concerned about so-and-so. I want you to be careful. You know what I do? Okay. Okay, because sometimes she knows things I don't know. The last thing is, and I'm very serious in finishing. If you're struggling in your marriage and it's opening the door, you're being tempted with other people, if you're struggling in your marriage, you need to get help. Someone in our church who does a lot of counseling and licensed counselor and done some work for the church and I was talking to this person recently and they, they were telling me that almost every couple that comes to them for help at the church, at our church, is already in so much trouble there's almost no way out. Don't be a statistic. If your marriage is hurting, get help. Get godly. If it's professional help, that's fine, but get godly counsel somewhere to work through your marital issues. God wants you to be happy. If you don't, you're opening the door to more trouble. Get. Can you hear your pastor's heart? Get help. Get help. God has a better life for you. Get help. And I want to pray this morning. Twofold prayer. I want to pray three different things, but twofold prayer right now. Just bow your heads if you would. First of all, I want to pray for families, marriages. You know, we, we've got some people here in the crowd this side. There's some people dealing with guilt and condemnation. There's some people who are hurting. Husbands, wives. Because of mistakes people have made. Because of things that have happened. You're trying to keep it together. You're trying to work through some stuff. And there's a lot of hurt there. A lot of embarrassment and shame. Let me tell you something. God can touch it in a minute and begin to heal it. But we've got to cooperate with him. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for marriages for husbands and wives who are struggling God I pray that you'd get in the middle of that marriage relationship and pull them together to common ground back to the one flesh place of blessing you've called us to begin to minister healing to them God there is probably a family or who here today maybe two three they're ready to give up father before they give up point them to you God point them to help give us the courage to get help Get help in Jesus' name. Father, heal the past mistakes. Bring forgiveness and mercy into marriages. And then, Father, I pray that you'd also bring repentance. 
Not just words of I'm sorry or words I won't do it again, but a true lifestyle change that goes in an opposite direction, that puts up safeguards. God, do a realignment in our heart that changes our lifestyle and opens our hearts to you. Father, I pray you'd just realign all of our hearts today, that we would put up safeguards in our own lives to protect our sexuality and our sexual morality. That we would avoid things that are outside the confines of marriage, outside the things that God says are sinful and even unnatural. God, put up guards in our hearts. Not that we live wanting to avoid, but that we live wanting to walk with you and do what pleases you. Live in your grace. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. While heads are still bowed, I know I've gone five minutes long, but I'm almost finished here. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never committed your heart to the Lord. Maybe you've never opened your life and said, God, I need you. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about being in a relationship with the God of creation. The God who made the moral laws. Maybe you've never opened your heart to him. Can I tell you today, God loves you so much. He gave his only son to die for your sins and pay the price for your sins. The death you deserve for your sins, he took. That you could have his life forever. He offers that life to you. If you just receive it. Invite him into your life. God extends grace, but we have to accept it by faith. And it begins with words, a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer right now and give you a chance to begin that relationship with God. All across the room, I'm going to ask everybody here to pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. Teach me your ways. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I walk away from the old life. And I walk into a new life with you. This day forward, you are my Father. And I am your child. Thank you for loving me. Amen. Last thing I want to share. If you prayed that prayer today, it's the most important decision you make in your entire life, committing your life to Christ. If that's you, I feel like I've got a responsibility to help you get started in that relationship. You know, praying the prayer isn't the end, it's just the beginning. We've got a little gift I want to give you. It's a booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just simple reading for the next week to help you start building that relationship with God. We want to give it to you. When service is over, there'll be prayer teams here at the front of the building. They pray with anybody for any need. If you just walk up to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you there, no strings attached. You don't have to say anything else, do anything else. If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you want prayer for something else, they'll pray with you. If you just want to get it and go, that's fine. We want to help you get started walking with God. If you're in a really big rush today, just before you leave the, the lobby, right in the middle of the lobby, the glass doors where you exit, there's a counter set up there with the big sign. You can stop there and get the same booklet. Just stop and say, hey, I want the booklet the pastor talked about today. They'll give it to you right there, no strings attached. And today, I want to welcome you to God's family. Can we put our hands together and welcome new members to God's family? God bless you today. Hey, can we thank Pastor Gary for that message this morning?
I know that with a message like that in this series that we've been in this month, these are some pretty heavy topics that we've been dealing with over the last few weeks. But how many people would lift a hand and say, I received that this morning. I'm going to take that home. I'm going to take that to heart. I believe that God wants to bless us if we will take him at his word. Amen. So thank you so much for being in church this morning. Just a couple more things we're going to do. Right now, we are going to bring our tithes and our offerings into God's house. We're going to honor God with our giving. We're going to put him first when it comes to our finances. And this morning as I was driving to church and I was thinking about this moment in our service, I thought to myself, how can I come with an offering thought that relates to sexual morality? And there's really no good way of doing that. But as I look back over the last few weeks, the truth is I'm incredibly grateful for God's correction and God's direction that he brings to my life through his word. And when I come into his house, one of the ways that I can thank him is by putting him first in this area of my finances. We talked about this last week here in our services. And I know that when we put God first, he opens up the windows of heaven. He pours out blessing into our life. He wants us to give back his tithe to him and return it to him and say, God, thank you for being my source and being my provider. But he also wants us to be stewards of the 90 that we have left over. And today we have the opportunity to put him first, to sow into our future and into his kingdom. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness and for your generosity in giving. You know, our church is what it is because of faithful people because of a faithful God. And we look around and we see that we're able to meet so many amazing needs right here in our community because of your generosity and through our partnerships around the world. And it's because people respond and choose to put God first. So thank you so much. We are what we are because of a faithful God and faithful people. As you give this morning, our ushers are come right now to receive it. And as we give, let's give in confidence and let's watch church news together and see what's coming up here at the bridge. everyone, my name is Mia, and welcome to The Bridge. We are thrilled that you and your family are here with us. If you are here with us for the first time today, we want to give you a special welcome and say thanks for spending your Sunday with us. We would love to meet you today and help you get connected here in the church. So take a look at church news and let's see what's coming up at The Bridge. Then we'll be right back to tell you how you can get involved. You know, throughout this month, we've been praying here at the Bridge Church for what God wants to do this year in our lives, in our community, and literally around the world. I want to say thank you so much for joining us in this season of prayer. But next Sunday morning, the first Sunday of February, we're going to be joining our faith together and having a great Sunday of praise, worship, and prayer. I'll be sharing just a few thoughts from my heart that I believe God has given me for that day, but we're gonna focus our time of prayer on the things that God has dropped into our hearts for this year. We're gonna be joining our voices and our faith together in unity, asking God to do great things. If you've got personal needs in your life, I want you to come expecting God to meet your needs. And as a matter of fact, if you'd like to go to the Connection Center and pick up one of these prayer need cards, you can pick these up, fill it out, drop it in an offering container or turn it in there at the Connection Center. And we're gonna to join together next week and pray over these needs as well as everyone who's in the building who has a need. So we want you to join us next week. Come with your faith attached to God, believing for great things. We're gonna have a great day, both services of praise, worship, and prayer. We'll see you there.
new term of Bridge Women is launching tomorrow night. This will be the introduction to our new series entitled Fervent. Through this series, we will grow deeper in our relationships with God, and I am confident that our prayer lives will be infused with fresh passion and greater power. You won't want to miss it. And remember, child care and Spanish translation are always provided. And come early to shop at the Vintage Corner Resale Boutique, where all items are only $3, and all proceeds benefit our community care program. So gather the girls in your world and join us tomorrow night at 6.30 p.m. I can't wait to see you there. Connecting Point is happening tonight at 6 p.m. You might be wondering, what is Connecting Point? If you're new to the church and you're looking to find out more about the history, vision, and heartbeat of the bridge, Connecting Point is the place to come. Maybe you've been a part of the bridge for a while now and you're ready to take your next steps and serve somewhere in the church. You can find out how to get plugged in at Connecting Point. Or maybe you haven't quite put your roots down yet, but you feel like it's time to say that the bridge is my home church. Connecting Point is the place to come. We want to meet you and help you take your next steps in church life. So make your plans to be here tonight at 6 p.m. Childcare is provided for all kids infant through fifth grade. We'll also have complimentary coffee and snacks. This is a very casual evening that lasts about one hour and we want you to come. Just sign up at the Connection Center before you go today so that we can plan for you. And we hope to see you tonight at 6 p.m. at Connecting Point. If you are here for the first time today, we want to meet you at the Connection Center right after service. Our team is there to welcome you, answer your questions, and give you all the details how you can get involved here at the bridge. Take a few minutes to stop by and say hi before you go today. We want to do our best to help you get connected in church life. Once again, if you made a decision to follow Christ today, please come get your free copy of The Next 7 Days from our prayers teams or at The Next 7 Days desk before you go today. We want to help you take your steps in your walk with God. For info on anything else, you can check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. Thanks again for being in church with us today. We love spending Sundays with you. Awesome. Just a couple quick things before we go. Tomorrow night is the relaunch of Bridge Women at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be awesome for all the ladies. We encourage you to be here. And uh, if there are any guys who can hang out afterwards, right after this service in the youth center and help us set up for tomorrow night, we'd really appreciate it. If you got the time and the muscle, we'd appreciate your efforts. And hey, I just want to remind you again, next Sunday, our worship and prayer Sunday to conclude this coming week of prayer and fasting. Be sure to grab a prayer request card out at the Connection Center and fill that out because we want to be praying with you this week and next Sunday as well. And here's the thing, the Super Bowl don't start till 3.30, okay? So I want to encourage you to be here because it's going to be a powerful Sunday and you won't want to miss it. You'll look back and say, hey, I was so glad that I was in church. We are glad that you are in church today. Have an awesome day, an awesome week, and we will see you next Sunday.